Hey, beautiful humans. It's the Juice Queen here, delivering all those ooey-gooey, drippy topics that will leave you simply drenched in curiosity and connection. So let's vibe over, you know, the ruse, shall we? My name is Noelle Mandalpo, and my sole mission is to make you feel seen, heard, valued, and validated in such a way that you remember who you truly are. And in that, you're never alone. This is a soft, safe, and sassy place where all of you is welcomed. So come on, let's dive in. Welcome back, babes. Today's juicy topic is all about play. And why is play so important? Well, I perceive play as a form of joy. And joy is basically our souls whispering us towards our highest path. It's like leaving small breadcrumbs towards our grandest potential and purpose. Whatever brings you happiness, there's a reason why. And there's also a reason why different things bring different people joy. I believe it's because of our cosmic DNA, trying to remind us of why we're here. So I think play is really important in the discovery of our joy. But have you ever noticed how increasingly difficult it seems to play as we get older? That's something that's been on my mind lately and a topic I want to dive into. So as children, all we wanna do All we're honestly encouraged to do is play, right? Um, Even before we're born, people are collecting little gifts and trinkets to bring to um, the um, baby shower. That's what I'm trying to say. So as early on as baby showers, we're giving each other the gifts of play and toys. This toy, that toy, mind-stimulating games left side of the brain, right side of the brain, simple toys, complex toys. So why are we encouraged to play as children, even infants? It's because play equates to exploration and it's through exploration that we create new synapses in the brain. When we create new synapses in the brain, we're carving new neural pathways that cultivates growth, right? And development is the whole uh, aim of raising a small child. I'm curious though, when does that goal shift? At what age is fulfilling our potential and the ultimate expansion of the mind, body, soul no longer our goal in raising children, right? Because there's definitely a point where play is less encouraged, you know, like the whole grow up um, mentality even is a, you know, a common phrase. Um, yeah, so it's sad to say in my eyes what I've, what I've witnessed, um, probably harder to witness than say, it seems to me that the first leap away from encouraged play is when you go to school, right? Because suddenly you have this structure and a curriculum and certain standards to hit, right? Where we have standardized testing and so on. And suddenly we go from like free form play to um, very, I mean, yeah, maybe in, in kindergarten, 
maybe even in first grade, but it very quickly moves into a structured type of learning that moves away from play. And that's why you get recess for what, 15, 20 minutes. But that, I don't know, for me, I believe that we learn the most when we're having like engaged fun, right? Like we're, we're present versus, you know, being spoon fed facts or, or something where it kind of goes in one ear and out the other. Maybe we'll retain it enough for a test, but oftentimes what we quote are learning in school is just things we need to prove we can pass a test on, unfortunately to say. So yeah, we get to school and suddenly we're less nurtured, right? And um, instead we're, we're pressured into a particular kind of box. We go from like a natural unfolding into a forcefully molded energy. And what I find most interesting is that the schools that do prioritize play and curiosity and continued exploration, such as Waldorf or Montessori, things like that, always tend to be private and extremely expensive and hard to get into, not to mention uncommon. Um, and so parents are becoming more aware of the types of healthy environments their children need to thrive and become the most creative embodied versions of themselves, but they won't be able to offer that to their children unless they have a bunch of money to, to spare, right? And on top of that, it also means that these families most likely need to be a two-income family, um, which means they can't be divorced, right? Um, and they even, they need access to the information and books and resources that even allow them to realize the types of environments their children thrive in. And what I'm, what I'm getting at by saying all these things is it basically creates a type of privilege around education, um, which is, isn't fair. Let's be real. It's just not fair. So in order for children, innocent, sweet little children, you know, um, fresh, fresh into the world, in order for them to have access to the best learning they need to have stable parents with a steady income and money to spare. And that's just not fair. All children deserve access to the best education, environment, expansion, encouragement, and so on. Accessing your full potential should never be a privilege. And this is obviously a problem we have in America and around the whole world, honestly. Which brings me right into my next point about accessibility to play. If your parents and your home life is a constant struggle, whether socioeconomically, relationally, emotionally, mentally, so on, which creates a shaky foundation at home, this creates a container of fear. And and that, that does not necessarily... I mean abuse, like fear in the abusive way. I literally just mean if there are two ultimate 
frequencies in the world, a love-based frequency and a fear-based frequency. A shaky foundation in the home is one where the child's going to operate more out of fear versus love because they're not getting their basic needs met. It's just a psychological, biological reaction to having a shaky foundation. They're not, they're not even necessarily most, mostly completely unaware that they're operating from this lens. This is just something that happens to our nervous system, right? Fear of the next meal, fear of how you're going to get to school that day, fear if your mom and dad are even going to stay together, right? These, the child might not think they are afraid of these things. It's just subconsciously existing around their reality simultaneously, right? Your system, however young, is taking in data and assessing whether or not it's safe. So when our home and family foundation is not safe, we cannot play or access play like other children who have a very stable foundation, okay? So when a child is getting all their basic needs met and their uh, parents are in a loving dynamic with each other, the child doesn't have as much to worry about, which gives him all this spaciousness to um, play, right? Like, if you're not worried about dinner and you're not worried about your parents having a divorce, then your mind is clear, your uh, nervous system is regulated, and you have all this availability for playtime, when we're more focused on survival than pleasure, we lose access to play at an earlier age. So we grow up. You'll hear that phrase, right, when kids grow up fast. And um, it's sad because usually kids grow up fast because they are put in situations that they probably shouldn't have to be in. And I'm speaking from the lens of someone coming from a broken family myself and I do resonate with growing up too fast and perceiving play differently at a younger age. And as someone who works with children now, um, I, I am so happy for the families that I work for who have cultivated a space where their children can play and have like the emotional and mental access to playtime because it really is where we learn to interact with each other, to interact with our parents, and develop a relationship with ourselves simultaneously. Okay, so we've gone over a couple factors as of yet um, that keep us from play, right? So there's the home environment can keep us from play depending on how shaky the foundation is. And then there's the schooling system, which by unfortunate nature just isn't play influenced most public schools. <sighs> that really bums me out. Okay, but as we age, of course, comes the cool factor, right? So maybe when you're younger, you like taekwondo or karate or maybe you thought knitting was super cool and you got really good at it 
But you can't bring those hobbies with you into middle school or high school because you don't want to be a dork, right? <laughs> um, yeah, so part of this is maybe maybe just be like a simple biological response to wanting to fit into the pack, right? And, and I get that. Um, but there's something cultural that I believe is happening here too. Because let's face it, is there anything more attractive than passion? Go ahead, sit with that, sit with that. Is there anything more attractive than a passionate person? Like, oof, watching someone do or even just speak about what they love is literally intoxicating. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I could just watch someone talk about the things they love and have no idea what they are even referencing and just be enamored with uh, their fervence, right? It's so magical to watch someone speak on things that they love. It's like you fall in love with the person talking (laughs) as well as whatever it is they're sharing because they make it so exciting that you can't help but find intrigue and interest, usually, hopefully, right? So I guess my point here is why isn't it cool to have a million and one hobbies when you get to high school or middle school or whatever? Why is it suddenly dorky to play the cello or um, be in the chess club or fill in the blank, right? Like suddenly we care so much what everyone thinks. But if our culture was valuing passion, then it'd be really pretty fucking hip to have a bunch of hobbies because it'd be like, oh, look at her over there she she um she's in band and she's also she also writes for the school magazine and she also does hip-hop after class and like she just really puts herself out there and I just love watching her um find herself and illuminate in her own you know energy whatever maybe little kids wouldn't say that right (laughs) or even high schoolers and that's probably part of the cultural epidemic that I'm referring to is there hits a point where trying out new shit isn't cool because maybe you're not good at it. And so we'll get there because I think the shame around not being good at something is huge when it comes to play and when it comes to adventuring out of things that we're already good at. But what if it was cool to try everything once? Or how I like to say, try everything twice. Because you never be known if the first time you did something, it was just situationally off. So you got to try everything twice, in my opinion. There's only one way to find out if you really love something or are naturally good at it. And that is by trying it. And so here comes that next factor of what keeps us from playing. People hate being bad at shit. It's triggering to not be good at something, but... How else are you going to get better at it if we don't continuously try, right? When we were kids, we'd try literally everything and anything. We'll jump off cliffs. We'll we'll paint. We'll uh, sing in front of big groups, you know. No one cared. And the end result was irrelevant. It didn't matter how good you were or how perfectly replicating your cute little dinosaur was to a real one. It's literally all just for the journey of the play, right? 
We couldn't wait to show our caregivers whatever it is that we created with so much pride. It's not, look what craft I've mastered. It's look what I can do, right? Hey mom, look what I can do. Look what I did. Watch, see me, see me. I can try. Look at me try. Look at me play. That's basically what small children are doing. And these moments are so crucial. It comes back to that familial foundation we were talking about earlier, because if our home life is shaky, our caregivers might not even have the tools or time to slow down and be present with your play and be present for you when you're showing something off, right? Like, hey, look at me, look what I can do. Unfortunately, the case, many parents aren't available for that. So it comes back to our foundation. And if you are shunned or turned away or diminished your system, your, your nervous system, your body will, will write the script with some shame. And maybe, maybe that you're unimportant, which leads to that age old tale embedded in most humans, the I'm not enough story that can stay with someone for the rest of their lives. Right. I mean, I remember I remember when I was in elementary school and I. I don't know. I don't know. I just decided to write some stories. I'm sure they were crap. <laughs> Anywho, um, I was in a commuter family and me and my brother, I remember, would have literally race to the car to see who could sit next to dad on the way home and uh, there's just so much like joy and pride and like making your parent proud right I guess is what it is um so yeah I'd like race to the car and I remember specifically I remember I can visualize it even but I just remember asking for my dad's attention on the drive home reading him some stuff I wrote and him I could tell visually that he wasn't really listening I could tell that he wasn't engaged and I could tell he probably had other things on his mind and I could tell that he could give a shit about what I was saying and I think I even trailed off before even finishing the story and he didn't notice, you know, and I still do that to this day sometimes when I'm talking to people and I can tell that they're not listening and I'll just trail off and see if they even notice and I never even really say anything sometimes, just observing, you know, but things like that stick with you and you, it contributes to that. I'm not enough story like no one like wants to hear me you know and in fact it even it even led me to stop sharing things that I wrote at that age to others because I felt like I'd bore them or it was unimportant and so it really just reinforces a script around I'm not enough is the key is the key factor there um as kids, we don't think of it that way, but of course, as I've aged and uh, along with some studies that I've done, it's it's <laughs> it's the human condition, really. You know, what factors lead us to believe that we're not enough? 
luckily I did have some lovely teachers and adult figures who who did listen and did encourage me to write and to this day writing remains one of my most natural gifts um and I do not blame anyone and it's honestly never our parents faults because we have to keep in mind that our parents are operating from the childhood environment that they were raised in as well. So how much attention did my dad get as a child? Pfft. I already know the answer to that, you know? So we have to we have to also simultaneously offer some patience and understanding and forgiveness um, to our parents in this whole this whole unraveling of who we are in this life. But it does happen, and it is very common. So then we develop typically like a self-consciousness around some of these these gifts we're trying to share, right? If we're not being received by our caregivers who are usually our whole world and our minds, especially at that age. So we feel small, and we feel unimportant, and we feel disregarded, and we are often discouraged even if it's at a subconscious level. And so some don't ever have that safety and spaciousness in the home to ever explore what they're amazing at due to that lack of play. So, you know, me trying to come to my dad and and be like, look at me, look what I did, and him not being available for that. um, And then that discouragement made me less accessible to playing, sharing, exploring, with my caregiver and and that sucks because with that diminishing desire to play like uh also diminishes the dynamic of support with the caregiver so they they can no longer support you in play because you no longer want to show up and play with them and it's this sad cycle we all all of us need to be supportive supported enough in our childhood years and and beyond for sure beyond um but especially as a child in our most primal necessities like food water shelter community compassion and so on for us to feel safe enough in the home to play and this is where the kids grow up fast thing does come in because if we are put in a situation where we have to um, be our parents' confidant or support system or bestie and uh, we can't be a kid because we have to show up for an adult, um, that's when we grow up too fast and lose the accessibility to play. But what if we rewrote this script? What if I asked you to list all the things you ever wanted to try but just never have because you aren't naturally good at it or maybe you've never even tried it or maybe there's some other kind of limitation like like you don't have enough experience and you think you need school but you can't afford schooling for it or maybe it's because you don't think you have enough time or money or... There's definitely hobbies out there that all of us have, or or sorry, all of us desire to try, 
or wish we were good at. Um, but we literally haven't attempted that. So just for a moment while we're talking here, I want you to explore what are a few hobbies and activities you would try if you had absolutely zero limitations. I actually do this exercise often-ish, maybe a couple times a year. Uh, I'll sit with myself and write out things that are super cool to me or super inspiring or things I've always wanted to do. You know, some things that I think of are surfing, snowboarding, uh, belly dancing, shibari, I don't know, hula hooping. There's so many different things that are on my personal list um, and it's and it's growing and there, there's plenty to be had there. But so you make your list and then you fucking sign up for a class, baby. That's what you do. You make a list and you, you YouTube some videos or you find someone who inspires you online and you message them or you buy yourself a pass or a membership somewhere, whatever, whatever it is that you're trying to call in, the only thing that stands in your way are mind-made limitations. And so I think it's important, first of all, to become clear on what are some of these hobbies and habits that I wish I embodied? What are some things that I want to play with and explore that I've basically... kept myself from for however many years you you are alive and thriving right when we try new things we give ourselves permission to succeed and equally important permission to fail sucking at something is the gateway to mastering it and it's the beginning of something so profound yet it's a common human condition to not even want to try at the fear of feeling embarrassed, out of our comfort zone, or simply reinforcing that not enough story. Real talk though, watching someone try something and suck at it is so much sexier than them not trying at all. Because passion, baby, like we were saying before, there truly isn't anything more beautiful than watching someone speak on the things that they love. So how do we invite something new into our day-to-day? Well, how about 10 minutes a day? 10 minutes a day for a month. What would happen after 10 minutes a day for one month of you trying anything new? First of all, it becomes a part of you. And each day will be a, a building block towards that skill and adding a little bit of experience into your toolbox. So that's the thing about discipline and consistency with habits that we want to cultivate, say meditation or yoga or going to the gym. Cultivating that discipline is so intimidating because in a way we all, especially our, so our ego is clinging to who we already are, right? That's what the ego gets off on. But when we consciously choose to add something new into our daily routine, even if only 10 minutes, We are choosing to become someone new. Those habits 
eventually become a part of us and over time are effortlessly integrated into the way that we think, speak, move, and operate as a human being, right? Because we pull from our life experiences. So when we add in little bits and pieces of something new, maybe our ego is afraid to change because change is scary. So we often resist new habits. We resist discipline because it's not part of who we are right now. And so it seems uncomfortable. Maybe it seems boring or um, we're not getting enough. We're not getting enough um, fucking, (laughs) we're not getting enough results fast enough. You know what I'm saying? We want instant gratification. We want to be good at something right away. And when we're just stumbling over ourselves with something new, it can be frustrating and discouraging. And that's often the case why we fall out of implementing something new into our day-to-day routine. But all in all, who gives a fuck what we look like or how great our masterpieces are at the end of the day, right? What matters is that we're opening ourselves up to new synapses in the brain, we're creating new new neural pathways, and we're inviting transformation into our lives when we do new things, fearlessly. Just like when we're a young, young pup, can we fearlessly try anything we've ever wanted to do? Because if we only have this one life, what are we waiting for? It's not going to hurt us or harm us to sign up for a dance class or sit down and attempt meditation for five, 10 minutes a day, right? Let us stumble. Let us fall. Let us get back up. It's through these trials and errors that we find our joy and that we find our purpose and our path. We're not going to find that if we're just sitting around afraid to try. Something else I hate to see in our modern world is the commodification of our hobbies. And don't get me wrong, with the current state of the world that our parents handed to us, it makes total sense to me that people want to try their best to make money at things that they're actually good at and things that they love to do. In fact, that's what we were always told. Do what you love and it won't feel like work. Okay, great story, guys. But the condition of the world is um, not going to, you know, I'm not going to live my life off of hula hooping. So as millennials and younger are like grappling to find something that will make them happy in this world and sustain them, we're basically faced with how to commodify our passions and our hobbies. Unfortunately, with that comes branding and exploiting the things that bring us joy. And I'm speaking from personal experience when I say that can tend to put the flame out in some of the things that really light us up. That's not to say that it'll completely diminish the joy of the things you love to do but when we have to do the things we love just to survive and exist in the world aka make some money it becomes more of a um 
it becomes more of a demand in our system, in our bodies. We see it more as I need this. It's a, it's a mentality of lack versus a mentality of abundance. Like if we love to do something so much and it brings us so much joy that we're overflowing with that activity, we teach people and we share that passion just from straight love frequency, right? And it just feels so exciting for yourself and for the people learning. But when we're operating from a lens of scarcity and lack that we don't have enough money to pay the bills, so we have to teach, we start pressuring um, our friends, family, loved ones, our following, whatever, to buy this or take this class or do this with me or pay me whatever because we need it suddenly. We're not just doing these things that bring us joy for fun anymore. And so where's the line between uh, play for pleasure and play for money. And so it'd be really, really wonderful. And I am so stoked for the people that have found that, that edge and are balancing it well. But so for example, I love to cook and I love to teach people how to cook. And I really love to feed people as well. So when I came back from traveling abroad, I told myself I wouldn't work for anyone else and that I really wanted to do something that I loved. And so I started this super small business of teaching people how to cook healthy veggie and vegan meals. And I really love that concept and people loved it as well. But when I was needing to meet ends meet, at the end of the month and wouldn't have enough and I had that forceful energy right of like buy a package with me things are on sale la 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 we come forward in this energy that I don't know if you've experienced this but nowadays when I'm experiencing it from my friends who have offerings it can feel um there's a lot of pressure there it, it feels unattractive honestly. It's just an unattractive type of energy. Now, if someone's just living in their truth, doing things they love, posting pictures or videos of their passions, I intrinsically am interested. I am intrinsically drawn to whatever they're sharing. But when they're forcing it at me, I feel less inclined to care generally, let alone pay them for their services. Um, it, which is sad, right? Because of course we want to support each other in our dreams and passions. But when we take play and we commodify it, there's an energy shift there that can be totally felt by the consumer. It's something to just be aware of. Not to mention commodification of hobbies also creates this, this competitive nature. So let's say someone is really good at painting or pottery or fill in the blank and they're making money up off of it with their online business or social media and you also love to get your hands dirty with some paints and pottery and whatever but when you compare yourself to this person online who's making a hundred dollars per pot and you look down at what you created last night, you start to compare 
and think to yourself, I'm not even fucking good at this. Why do I do this? It might be discouraging. And that, that's not the, the other's fault. And it's not to say let's not share our gifts with the world on social platforms. It's more so just bringing some awareness to the fact that it can be discouraging to simply play with different materials and play with a hula hoop and play um, in whatever, whatever. It, it might be discouraging when we can't commodify our hobbies, right? We're like, well, fuck, I'm not even good at it. I'm not a performer. I'm not a this. I'm not a that. And we get into our heads. And that, that's something that can diminish our drive for trying new things because we're like, well, so-and-so already does it better. They don't need another. They don't need another one. They already got her. They already got him. They already got them. It, it contributes back to that I'm not good enough story, right? Constantly comparing ourselves to each other. And of course, comparison is the thief of joy. I'm here to say fuck all that. Do what you love because you love it and no other reason than, <laughs> no other reason than that, okay? Make a list of all the things you've ever wanted to try and find out where they are locally offered near you. Invest in yourself by investing in your hobbies. Maybe you're like, oh, an aerial silks class, that costs $30. I don't have extra money. Let me tell you how that $30 will come back around in the form of joy, pleasure, smiles, and a newfound inspiration for the fact that you really can try anything once and maybe even try something twice. Try what you love because you are a human being on earth in a body for a short amount of time in which allows you to try those things. And so why the heck not play? What would you try if you could never fail? What are things that you wish you could write in your bio that you haven't tried yet, but we are all waiting to see you shine in, baby girl, baby boy, baby boo, boo, boo. Look what I can do. Show the world. Hey, look at me. I can try and I can try again. I can try again. I can try the next day and the next Every single day, a new opportunity for you to go out there and tr attempt the things that you, at this point thus far, have convinced yourself that you don't have access to. The truth of the matter is, the more that we play with ourselves and play with each other, and I know how that sounds and I said it anyway, the more that we give each other permission to do that. And as adults, if we're playing as adults, then we're showing children the way to evolve is to never stop playing. And it's honestly through that play frequency that we attract our highest nature, right? And we inspire others simply by existing in our own fearless skin. So what can you do today? What's something new you can do today that you've been afraid to do thus far? Take one step in the direction of where you're going and eventually you'll get there that's a wrap folks signing out from the juice queen ciao ciao